Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Whether you're a brand, large business, small business, or an individual, you need customers. And the chances are some of your potential customers are probably listening to this podcast right now. From history, when Napoleon led Boulogne for a year, politics, if that person is poor, it's a bad neighbourhood. Then you have the disproportionate police brutality, which is meted out instantly at people of colour. Culture, had they written it that Chris called an ambulance for hours straight away, and we wouldn't have learned about the severity of alcohol withdrawal either. Well done to the writers. Thank you for making a wonderful podcast, but I'd give rather a miss. <laughs> the Rotherham Tourist Board. Geekdom. The flag is a graphic symbol, not a verbal symbol. You know, why don't we just write France on the flag? I mean, we laugh when you think of putting a country's name on a flag. Society or music. Young people began to turn away from their parents' ethics and their style of dress, and they began to dance to a new type of music. Royfield Brown's podcasts are downloaded just under 100,000 times a month. So putting your message here could well be worth it. If you have something to sell or promote, why not email royfield at gmail.com and hear your product or service promoted. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Matt Corner. I'm Royfield Brown, who's 37.8 uh, degrees north and 122.3 uh, degrees west, which puts me back in my beloved Oakland in the Bay Area in California. And with me is Claire Asprey. And I'm guessing today, Claire, that you're again in East Bedfordshire. Um, I'm in North Bedfordshire. Uh, yes, 52.1 degrees north, 
0.5 to be Hold on a minute. Why have you written in your notes that you're in East... Oh, East yeah. in Bedfordshire. So what's the difference between North Bedfordshire and you writing East in Bedfordshire? Surely, if you're East in Bedfordshire, that's East Bedfordshire. No, 0.5 degrees east, but I'm still in North Bedfordshire rather than East Bedfordshire. I'm more in West Bedfordshire, if that counts. So basically, you don't know where you are as according to what you've written on the script. <laughs> Map Corner is a podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic folks. So if Peter's is your projection, you're in the right place. And this month, we're talking to uh, Van de Graaff who's a YouTuber who likes to talk about maps and has some really interesting content on his channel. We have an audio postcard from our stalwart contributor and uh, quiz winner, Ken McDonald. Don't forget, folks, to review us on Apple iTunes. The more people that review us and the more great ratings we get, the more people get to listen to the show. And again, we're live recording this on Zoom with uh, some of our favourite Map Corner listeners. It's great to see familiar faces and new faces. So uh, if you want to join in next time we have a Map Corner recording, make sure to join our Facebook group where we post the link for the Zoom as an event. You know, you says we're here with some of our favourite listeners. Generally, I say that Nick Roworth is my bet noir. I pretend that Nick and I have beef. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nick is just a lovely guy. But I've got beef with Andy Gladwin. He's not one of my favourite listeners. He impugned the city of my birth. Sarah Spilsbury, I know you're, you're watching along. You're in Smethwick. That's part of Greater Birmingham. Yeah. How, how comfortable do you feel sharing a Zoom panel with Andy Gladwin? He, he basically said that uh, Birmingham was, wasn't a place worth going to. Oh, that's very wrong. There he you go, Andy. You've, be, you've been told, sir. Can I, can I maybe just suggest, though, in the mode of diplomacy, that maybe picking on the listeners isn't the best month start to the show? <laughs> it's all camaraderie. It's all camaraderie. <laughs> it's, uh, it's starting to feel like bullying, Royfield. Far be it from me to have an accusation of bullying thrown my way. We record every, every first Saturday of the month at 6pm UK time, which is 1pm Eastern and 10am Pacific. And today we are interviewing Van de Graaff. Hello, Mr. Van de Graaff. How are you? Um, doing well. You are such a man of mystery. And, and you've added to that uh, by not having your camera on, which I think... Do you work for Mossad or the CIA or something? Are you, why, <laughs> why are you deep undercover, sir? I like it. <laughs> my videos are they're image-based with my recording voice, so that's just what I do. That's how people know me, so I just keep doing it. Well, obviously, we know you from YouTube. So why don't you take us back to the beginning? I presume you love maps. You decided to take your love of maps onto YouTube. Uh, when did all that start and why, sir? I, as a kid, I would just draw maps a lot. And um, for YouTube, I originally I would make some very bad, poorly drawn, sorry, not bad, but poorly drawn videos like math concepts on my other channel. But my other interest was with uh, geography and maps. So I decided to make an entirely new channel where I would make higher quality videos for with maps. And the first one I made was about San Francisco, the Bay Area, and Silicon Valley, basically explaining the difference between those three concepts and how they overlap. And when would that have been? Because you've been on YouTube for quite some time. So set us chronologically when that was. That was, I think, four years ago in 2016. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to see how 
these things that people take as geographical shorthand, it's really, I, I find it really interesting to watch that video to, because we might have a mental concept of what those places are and what those areas are. And, and Royfields might be different as well because he actually lives in that area. To see it laid out like that is quite, quite interesting. And I think you could probably do that for lots of sort of regions and, and areas which which people use as shorthand. So, um, yeah, did it, did it take a lot of time to put together? It was a long time ago, but I'm remembering that it took me... I was working on it for quite a while. Uh, the animations, I had to do every single frame as a different image. So that took a, a while. Let me just understand exactly what you're trying to achieve there. So one of the videos which I saw that you did was the concept of the Middle East. And I'm guessing that this one's uh, similar in yeah. that this is a case of we have the Bay Area as a as an area as a name as a concept and then we have san francisco and then we have silicon valley and it's a way of understanding how we categorize geographical places and how they these can actually overlap is that it, it, in a nutshell so that you were looking at with your first oh video? yeah 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 for the the middle east video was i was trying to do the same thing whereas like there's three overlapping concepts one of mm -hmm. them was the middle east the other one was concept of the arab ethnicity which is mm -hmm. similar to the Middle East, but it's overlaps somewhat with there's Arabs in North Africa and not every single person in the Middle East is an Arab. And the other one was um, the religion of Islam, which is associated with the Middle East. But again, it's some of the people in the Middle East are Muslim, but there's also people who are Muslim outside the Middle East. And there's people in the Middle East who aren't Muslim. So I was trying to like do those three concepts, how they overlap and explain the situation where, where the, they are not the same thing. Like, for instance, Persians are not Arabs. Mm -hmm. One of the kind of fascinating things for me, loving history, then obviously also geography, was that the concept of where the Middle East is has actually moved, hasn't it, historically? Yeah. So India, let's say 100 plus years ago, was actually the Middle East. And there was the Far East, which was China. And actually what we now call the Middle East was the Near East. The, the Ottoman Empire was the Near East. The Far East was China. In between, could have, anywhere in between could have been the Middle East. Although the, the first Middle East was more a little bit to the side of India. The British were the ones who sort of, for their strategic purposes, they created the concept of the Middle East for uh, the area that was to the west of India because they controlled their, their colony in India. And the importance of the region was for defending their their concept of India. Like, for instance, there's the uh, the Great Game mm -hmm. with Russia was over what could be considered the Middle East, and it was in their attempt to keep it away from the Siberian territories of Russia that they decided the Middle East was important. And so, the concept of the Middle East evolved out of that. As when the Americans and the British were cooperating in the Second World War, they called their command in that area, the Middle East Command. And that's how it sort of absorbed the concept of the Near East was through the, the Second World War, which is which is a very important war for describing things and hit, as people became familiar with areas they wouldn't have been familiar with before. And that continued as um, certain events would create more importance, like for instance, the Suez Crisis and the oil crisis with the OPEC would um, increase the price of it by restricting yeah. the supply. Yeah. Um, so let, let's go back to what you do on, on YouTube, because you've built up um, a lot of subscribers. You've got a, a very big channel there. You talked about you doing animation. So take us through the process of 
you you know you've decided on a concept whether that is explaining the middle east and the overlapping concentric kind of like you know circles of ethnicity and geography etc or uh, the bay area uh, take us through your process how long does it take you to get the finished output what do you do because i wasn't aware that you were animating frames individually as well so just take us through that technical process okay so the first thing you need to do i do is i try to get a script that can take quite a while probably the most time is writing the video after you've written the video i will edit a few times i'll read it out make sure it, I'm, I'm not saying weird things that don't make sense and then then i will record it and that's my least favorite part because uh, I don't like hearing my own voice. After that, you have to edit the video, you have to edit the audio so that it um, get rid of your ums and ahs and weird pauses when you don't know what you're saying. And then when you have the audio in sequence, in the proper sequence, everything good, then what you do is you need to put the images behind the audio. And so you need a video editing software. And, you, and basically, what I'm making is essentially a slideshow where my voice is just running next to the slideshow. Well, you're on YouTube and you've got um, a lot of, of views and a lot of subscribers. What are your most popular videos and why do you think those videos in particular are your most popular? The Weird Borders series is my most popular. And specifically, it's the Weird State Borders. And the reason for this is it, it was a to popular topic when people like C.J. Gray did it. And I was sort of like trying to expand on what he did because he he um he did it many years like ten years ago or something. He made a video called um, "Bizarre Borders," and I thought the concept was interesting, so I wanted to expand that on different borders than he was doing. The U.S. state borders is most popular because um, the United States is a large country, and people generally have more interest in their own country. So there's probably a lot of Americans who wanted to see that. Um. But the other ones, the other one that also did successfully was the uh, one about the exclaves, where you know how like Russia has that piece yeah. next to Poland, it's not connected to Russia, and so that one I tried to do a theme where it's um, exclaves were created because countries wanted to get access to sea, and so they cut off parts of one country from the other. So, for instance, Poland cut off two pieces of Germany, and then during the Second World War, um, Russia took that edge of East Prussia from Germany and got rid of the Germans and put in Russians. And the second one was um, how Angola has a little piece of it above Congo's connection through the Congo River to the ocean. And then the third one was how Bosnia and Herzegovina had a tiny little strip connecting it to the Adriatic Sea and Croatia. And so Croatia is disconnected from the rest of the country for a little bit. And I've been there. I've been to that that little uh, Bosnian town. So Bosnia only has either nine or twelve miles of coastline, and um, it was uh, given to Bosnia. Even though everybody basically there, the vast majority of people there actually are Croatian. They speak uh, Croat. It was given to the province of Bosnia by Tito. I was in Dubrovnik. When you travel from Dubrovnik by coach to Sarajevo, you stop at the border, they take your passport, then you go nine miles and you have to do the whole whole thing again. It's a wonderful an anomaly. You look at the map of the Dalmatian coast and you, you literally cannot see. You think that 
Croatia goes all the way down, but no, there's this tiny little bit, which is actually Bosnia, which is now this international border. Geographical curiosities that do really well in these mm. sort of videos. Um, you know, yeah. we're, we're fans of borders and in, enclaves and exclaves. Yeah, the um, the thumbnails are pretty good for those things because, like, you can have like the, the arrows, the red arrow pointing at it, and be like putting question marks. Uh-huh. That, that makes it people want to click on it. One video of yours which I did see, and it, it you sent me down a rabbit hole, sir, for for half an hour. So thank you, thank you for that. Was um, <laughs> the exclave within an exclave? So it is the United Arab Emirates and Oman. And there is a bit of, away from the whole body of Oman, there's a, a little circle within the UAE, uh, of which within that, there's another bit of, of Oman again. And just understanding, and that only came about in about 1970, and it's because local tribal allegiances were just so fluid and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody, you know, I forget how many miles away it is from, from the, the UAE uh, proper decided where, when it's case, right, we're going to get, we're going to be independent. Uh, you need to pick a side. He goes, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the Omanis and they're just a hundred miles down the road. And then somebody within that territory again said, well, I want to be part of the UAE. And it's just created this bizarre, but wonderfully unique situation of enclave within an enclave, you know, which is an exclave. Utterly fascinating. Yeah. And um, if the United Arab Emirates was not united, there'd be so many more of those situations. Because mm-hmm. the only the reason that's that's a particularly unique situation is because the Emirates, they have territory all over the place, all over the place with no real rhyme or reason. There's a similar situation with um, Belgium and the Netherlands, where because of weird feudal arrangements or whatever, they have territory all over the place and nobody really knows why. Yeah, yeah I'd but, like to do a, a map corner field trip to that bit that's like, all over the place, Belgium and, and the Netherlands. <coughs> Quite keen to do do a visit there. Guy Smith, you've you've got your hand up there, sir. Jump in. It, yeah, it, it's a bad time for enclaves. Just south of Vancouver, you've got Point Roberts, where the peninsula is cut off by the 49th parallel. It depends on us Canadians going down there for cheap gas, cheap cheese, getting your American parcels delivered to the post office box. And some people have cottages down there. But now you can't cross the border uh, and they're, they're dying on the vine down there. They've got no revenue. Their only land access to the rest of the states is through Canada and they have trouble moving anything. They're having to take stuff in by boats and um, the whole economy is just imploding. There are a couple of great YouTube videos on, on Point Roberts and one of them, I'm going to call him the mayor, but I could be wrong. He just says we need to be subsumed by Canada. He said this whole COVID situation had just exacerbated a problem which was sometime in, in the coming. So, Guy, are we going to see a bit of Canadian imperialism where you are swooping down to conquer a bit of the, uh, of the 50 states? Well, pe- people do say that the country best poised to invade anybody is Canada because nobody's expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Van de Graaff, um, did you do also do a video on the situation between Bangladesh and India and the mess there, which I know is actually now being cleared up in the last few years? Am I getting you? No, confused? I didn't do a video on um, Bangladesh and India. Oh, okay. but yeah, that that got fixed because um, they wanted to. They basically traded 
the ex slaves around so they'd be clean up the borders. Mm. I think there's still I think there's still one particularly large one that they didn't trade. One of your videos that I quite enjoyed because I'm a local government nerd um, is that uh, the one around the the explanation on the Russian Federation and how different parts of what we call Russia have different statuses and that kind of that sort of goes back to sometimes quite bizarre historic issues around the original Soviet republics. How, how do you research that? Well, you you basically have to learn about Russia generally, <laughs> and then you you kind of have to just try and search for the um the particulars. The Soviet history is something that I've I've just been generally interested in. So, like when I was a kid, I learned the entire history of uh, the Soviet Union because I was interested in communism. The evolution is usually an outgrowth from the Soviet Union. Like before the it was Russia was the empire. But then the Soviet Union came along and it, I think it's called Korenstantia. And what they did was they tried to de-imperialize without giving up any territory, which um, didn't really work. See, Imperial China, Imperial Russia, they're both, we're anti-imperialists, but then they end up fighting over the same things anyway. Geopolitics, you can't ignore it, no matter how hard you try. They attempted to de-imperialize without giving up any territory. They still lost some territories anyway. Like, for instance, Finland used to be part of they tried to localize the control. So instead of Russians controlling it, they would say that the, no, it's not Russians controlling it. It's the, it's the local Uzbeks controlling it. But you didn't have any choice in the matter. The Uzbeks had to follow the party line. So it was still the same thing anyway. But Russia continued this from the Soviet Union. And that's how the republics came to be. And the other things, the Jewish Thomas Oblast was very interesting. Um, because it's just like, there's nobody, nobody actually, there's very few Jews who actually live there. Yeah. Um, and there was even a German uh, Soviet, not Republic, but Oblast as well before the Second World War. I, I just found these things utterly, utterly fascinating. I think it was Stalin that had the, as you're kind of alluding to, had this whole concept that um, the periphery republics would all be uh, non-Russian, so... So that's the reason why we have Moldova and the Ukraine, which is obviously now Ukraine and Belarus and Georgia and Armenia. But core was still the, the Russian Federation. So it's a case of if Russia ever got invaded, they'd go through these other republics first under the guise of giving them kind of autonomy. Coming back to exclaves and enclaves, you have um, Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan, don't they? Both have exclaves in each other's territory which is a, another hangover of this weird so, kind of so yeah yeah uzbekistan and um Tajikistan and all those stands they ha they have similar situations where um the soviet stalin specifically would trade territory back and forth between them it would kind of break and break them up and that made it difficult for any one group to really obtain enough control to really stand against soviet authority mm. the very large exclave that has. That comes from the fact that the Ottomans and the Safavids, who were the ones who controlled the Iranian plateau at the time, in the like the early modern period, 1500, 1600, that time, they were always fighting for each other, which is the thing that actually goes back to the Romans and the Parthians. There would usually be an Eastern Mediterranean power and an Iranian plateau power, and they would just constantly fight each other. And they've been doing that for like over a thousand years. It's called Nak. Nakhichevan or something. Yeah, yeah. But it's a part of uh, Azerbaijan that is disconnected. So that was the, the border territory. And uh, so what the, the Safavids did, they basically told everyone 
that they had to leave. So they depopulated the entire place and sent them all to live in the capital area, which means there's actually a very large Armenian community in what the city that was the capital of the Iranian state at that time. Mm-hmm. The first people to resettle the area were, were um, Turkics. So that's how it became majority Turkic. Like the Armenians were allowed to return eventually, but since the Turkics got there first, they were the ones who were the most there. That's how that part got there. The other part is the, the thing that Armenian or Azerbaijan are actually fighting over, which is, I forget no, what it's called. Nagorno-Karabakh. Yes, Nagorno-Karabakh. And that was um, that was more the, the Soviet policy of trying to split things up. Mm. It, it's amazing when, when you look back at uh, the mess that was the Soviet Union and its internal borders, which arguably under under Soviet rule, the fact that there were these exclaves and enclaves and weird borders, it, it, it didn't really matter. That when that country ceased being one unified state, that there hasn't been more conflicts. Yes, there's been a war over Nagorno-Karabakh. There's been at least two, if not three. Uh, we have the situation of the Crimea, where which was majority Russian, but within the Republic of the Ukraine, and then Putin grabbed it some eight eight years ago. Uh, but there is also another reason why borders change, isn't there? It's because um, a lot of borders are along the line of rivers, and rivers can decide to change their course. Then all of a yeah. sudden you have anomalies along border rivers. So could you give us some examples of that? One example is uh, is the uh, Colorado River, which doesn't exist anymore. So the river that was your border is no longer a river. Uh, and of course, the, the Mississippi is is famed for changing its course, isn't it? So you have mm-hmm. these weird anomalies where over uh, just the space of a, a couple of hundred years, borders of, of American states have these anomalies where there's a bit of another state on the wrong side of what is now, now mm-hmm. the river. But which is, uh, and the reason why I know that is because not only am I a map nerd, but because Claire Asprey, has done uh, some quiz questions, and I I might have given the game away as yeah, to yeah. the answer for for one of those questions. But so if you've got paper and pen, or even a pencil and paper to hand, it is time for the map corner quiz, folks. Uh, and I know that Ken McDonald is a keen, keen, keen participant in the said quiz. Uh, Andy Gladwell has, has won before, but my money's actually on Guy Smith. We haven't had a Canadian actually win the uh, Matt Corner quiz. Let this be the first time, sir. So, borders. Name the country which borders the following countries. Van de Graaff, I expect you to be playing along as well, sir. Uh, well, so, I'm Canadian, so maybe. Oh, maybe. oh well, there you go. So Canada's got a very good chance of winning winning this Throwing time. Throwing a gauntlet down to Mel Guy Smith. <laughs> right. Name the country which, uh, which borders the following countries. Iran, Afghanistan, India, and China. Which country borders Iran, Afghanistan, India, and China? Question number one. Question number two. Name the country which borders the following countries. Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil, Bolivia, and Chile. Which country borders Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil, Bolivia, and Chile? Name the country which borders the following, Russia, Sweden, and Norway. And if you've been paying attention, this country has been mentioned by Van de Graaff. And it's probably on the map that's on the screen right now. It absolutely is. 
Though, if you look at this map, it was a constituent part of another kingdom at this time. Another clue, it only became independent in 1918. Istanbul, probably the most fascinating city I've ever been to. How much of Istanbul's population live in Europe? Is it A, one third, B, one half, or C, two thirds? Istanbul, like the country it sits in, is in two continents. How much of Istanbul's population live in Europe? Is it one third, one half, or is it two thirds? Istanbul, again, uh, which name was Istanbul not known by? People with eagle eyes will have seen that I had the screen on the answer for this as we clicked over. Persilopolis, Byzantium, or Constantinople. Which of these names has Istanbul not been known by in its 2000 years worth of history? Persilopolis, Byzantium, or Constantinople? US state borders. Considering that Thomas Jefferson, the third president, said that all states should be square and rational, it's amazing how much messiness there actually is in uh, US state borders when you look on the micro level. Why is Ellis Island partly in New York and New Jersey? Is it because it crosses a line of longitude? B, it was jointly funded by both states. Or is it C, because it was partly made on reclaimed land? Ellis Island, we've all heard of it famously part of American myth where immigrants came from the far-flung bits of Europe and uh, were given uh, Anglo-sized surnames if the immigration officer couldn't pronounce them. Ellis Island. Why does it have borders in New York State and New Jersey? Is it because it crosses a line of longitude? Is it because it was jointly funded by both states? Or is it C, it was partly made on reclaimed land. US state borders again. Hmm. Right. I might have given the game away with this one. Me with my big mouth. Um, why is the airport of Missouri City of of the Missourian city of St. Joseph cut off and inside Kansas? Hmm. A, a flood moved the line of the river. Uh uh, B, Kansas lobbied for the airport to be in their jurisdiction. Or C, surveyors reviewed the official border in 1952. And the last question is, again, US state borders. How was the pig war resolved, uh, which determined the ownership of the islands? Uh, the pigs were raced through the street. Was it B, there was a wrestling competition? Uh, or was it C, Germany decided which country should have ownership of the island. So the pig war was between Canada and America. How was ownership of the islands determined? Was it the pigs were raised through a street? B, there was a wrestling competition? Or C, the parties involved said, Oi, Germany, can you uh, adjudicate? There are your map corner questions. In the chat, Jennifer Prather said... Uh, this uh, reminds me of the very vague geographical category of the American Midwest. And I believe, Jennifer, you're referring to notions of the Middle East and the fact that that has moved over time. I, 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 I know that look, if you look at an old map, 
of America by the uh, the time of the 13 colonies became independent, uh, the West was now the Midwest, wasn't it? Uh, what is now the Midwest, they weren't even states, they were territories barely uh, under the jurisdiction really of the 13 colonies, but that was uh, the West. Um, did you do any work specifically um, other than the Van de Graaff, the work that you did around uh, Silicon Valley, Greater San Francisco, the Bay Area? Were there, are there any other bits of America which have these overlaying um, labels, ditto like the American Midwest and how that shifted throughout time? They could probably do a concept like that around New York. So I think one of some things that's interesting is that New York is a city that covers the boroughs are each individual counties. So the city of New York is actually above the level of a county, as in it contains multiple counties. So that would be an interesting video that you could try to explain. So how come you haven't done that one yet then? It takes, it takes a really long time to make the videos and uh, my brain just decides what I focus on and I can't control that. Well, I'm sure you've got greater powers of attention than me, sir. I'm famously somebody with a short attention span. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But what we do need to do is go to a video, an audio postcard from somebody who has got a much longer attention span than myself and Van de Graaff. It's Ken McDonald and it's his audio postcard. This is The Road to Nowhere. I moved to North Carolina when I was 25 in 1987. It didn't take me long to discover its natural wonders, and in particular the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which lies astride the NC-Tennessee state line. Though I came from a family that didn't go camping and I'd never hoisted a backpack in my life, I soon found myself with rented gear at a mountaintop trailhead pushing through the wet laurel and spruce to begin a planned two-night, three-day outing. I had no idea where I was, what I was doing. 
I was wearing cheap tennis shoes. I was carrying over two gallons of water, not knowing how to find or purify the plentiful water in the park. And worst of all, my only map was the little one for making backcountry site reservations with the park service. It wasn't a proper topo map at all. As a result, when I planned my loop hike, I had no idea I'd be literally losing thousands of feet in elevation the first day, only to gain it back the second. Or that some of the trails I was taking weren't maintained or even marked with blazes. When I finally made it to an Appalachian Trail shelter on my second night out, the experienced hikers I met there looked at me with a wonder that could have been best expressed as, why aren't you dead? I became an experienced backpacker in time, but I retained a fond memory for that first mountain hike, including the wilderness area on the north shore of Fontana Lake, where I pitched my tent that first night out. That made it all the more upsetting when I learned that one of our United States Senators, Jesse Helms, was advocating for a road to be built through that wilderness, as was the local congressman, Charles Taylor. Officially known as Lakeshore Drive, it was better known for the six-mile stretch already built, as the road to nowhere. By the time I learned of the road to nowhere in the 1990s, the motivations to build it were largely tourism-related, particularly for the town of Bryson City on the eastern end. There's only one through road in the Smokies, U.S. Route 441, which connects the towns of Cherokee, N.C. and Gatlinburg, Tennessee, both of which have become tourist meccas. So this could be another, some folks thought. But the original reasons were quite different. The Tennessee Valley Authority, uh, one of FDR's public works projects of the Great Depression, had long had their eye on this neck of the woods along the Little Tennessee River. The TVA was building dams all over the region for both flood control and energy production, the latter particularly to support the aluminum industry. However, they couldn't get funding for a dam on the Little Tennessee until December 1941, when the United States entered World War II and suddenly needed a lot more aluminum for warplanes. The dam they built created Fontana Lake, which separated many people in Swain County, N.C. from their ancestral lands. Those lands were now part of the National Park, but they still had family cemeteries there that were much harder to reach now. The Park Service was supposed to replace the old road that had been flooded out, and thus the road to nowhere was born. Though planning began in the 1940s, by the 1970s only around six miles had been built, dead-ending right after passing through a tunnel on the Bryson City side. Turns out this was a terrible place to build a road. The old road went through the Little Tennessee Valley, but that was now underwater. The new route had to go through rugged mountain terrain, which was not only expensive, but it was also causing erosion that threatened the local fishery, which was one of the main drivers of the local tourism industry. For me, though, there was another factor. In the 1990s, American environmental activist Dave Foreman began promoting the idea of big wilderness, which he defined as roadless areas of 100,000 acres or more west of the Mississippi or 50,000 acres or more in the east. There are a number of areas in that latter category, but very few in the east that would meet the western criterion. Two of the few, side by side, 
are the two halves of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park on either side of U.S. Route 441, totaling over 500,000 acres. I was pleased and proud to have these in my backyard and hated the idea of cutting another road through that wilderness. In the end, Jesse Helms retired from the Senate and Charles Taylor was replaced by Heath Schuler in Congress. With the chief road advocates gone, Schuler was able to midwife a final cash settlement between the federal government and Swain County in 2010, compensating them for their lost road. This was followed by some legal wrangling over the payment schedule, but the final payment was made and the matter settled in 2018. What they are left with is the road to nowhere, which itself has become a tourist destination. In November 2020, my wife and I came to Bryson City in Swain County to take our drive on the road to nowhere. The city seems to be doing quite well, even without a through road across the park. It has two breweries, one of which we visited, taking a pint outside for proper social distancing. There is an excursion railroad, plenty of restaurants and shops, and of course, easy access to the Smokies backcountry, courtesy of that six-mile cul-de-sac. It may be a road to nowhere, but the views are beautiful along the way. Near the end, there's a parking area, a barricade, and then a few hundred feet more of roadway that you can travel only on foot. Mostly, it's a walk through a tunnel, which has become an extensive canvas for graffiti. On the other side, you can readily get on several backcountry footpaths, including Lakeshore Trail, which follows the intended route of the on-built road, and Forney Creek Trail, one of the footpaths I took on my first visit to the park all those years ago. Ken McDonald, as always, you've knocked the ball out the park, sir. Um, Van de Graaff, um, where do you stand with France in terms of geographic peculiarities? Because technically France has a border with Brazil. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then France has also, a lot of exclaves. Yes, exactly. And, and also France has a maritime border with Canada. It's literally, you literally throw a stone from Canada into... France, you know, the island of Saint-Pierre and Miquelon has a couple of French senators. You know, it is a part of metropolitan France. So um, where do you stand with with kind of geographic peculiarities like that? Do you say, oh, they're, they're all part of this wonderful world of exclaves and enclaves? You just say, oh, the French are cheating there, really. France isn't in, in South America. It's sort of like one of those things where I kind of just ignore it. Because it's like, yeah, they're cheating. It's not real. It's like, that's not real. <laughs> I just kind of block it out from my mind. <laughs> and I don't think about it. I'm kind of with you on this, right? But let, let's get into some, some geographic weeds here now. So Spain has two cities on the North African coast. Melilla and Ceuta. And there's even a third bit, which is a, a fort, which I don't think anybody actually lives in. But that's on the Moroccan coast. I think we're about to lose Guy Smith. I know, there's been an emergency. Oh, wow. Drama, folks. Look at that guy. They are. Sorry, yeah, I got, I got to go. There's uh, the homeless camp in Abbotsford, apparently. There we go. It's been, it's been a slice. You'll never find out how badly I beat you in the quiz. <laughs> well, you'll have to. I'll tell you what. Go, go on oh, to the I'm Facebook the page. Down. No, no, go on to the Facebook page. <laughs> Give us your answers and we'll, we'll, we'll tell you if you won. Because it is well, a great I, I honour I... for winning. But listen, Guy, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. 
How, how dramatic was that? Real drama on Map Corner. Who would have thought it? Right. <laughs> Who would have thought it? We have real heroism live on the podcast. So, all right. So here we go. French Guyana or Guyana, however you want to pronounce it, in South America isn't a part of really a part of metropolitan France, although legally is. Uh, the two islands in the North Atlantic with a maritime border with Canada, eh, they, you know, they're kind of cheating, right? So are the Spanish cheating when they when they say we, there are two Spanish cities in uh, in the continent of Africa? Well, you can think of it like um, that water, that um, if, if something is separated by water, you can kind of mm-hmm. think of it just as like, it's kind of connected if you think about it in a weird way that uh if the water is part of the country you can think of it that way so you can so if you want to be extremely technical you can ignore that as not being actually exposed but like for instance if you have the um the with uh croatia it should that could be considered an exclave because they are connected by land but they're they're prevented from being connected by land because of because of the uh, tiny bit of it it's gnome I think it's called Nome, the little bit of yeah. Bosnia. But 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 if you go extremely technical, the parts of Spain in Africa are technically connected to land to the rest of Spain because Afro-Eurasia is one landmass. So <laughs> yeah, they're exclaves. But I think one of the more obvious aspects of that is that. Mediterranean as a place and a and a series of cultures around the Mediterranean evolved when it was much easier to get around around the edges of the Mediterranean than it was to go by land anyway. So that bit of North Africa is very close to Spain and it's probably uh, there's been a whole period of history when it was as easy to go by boat around the Mediterranean as it might have been to traverse the land. So they probably have more in common in terms of territory with southern Spain than other parts of Spain that was you know beyond the mountains or whatever. So I think sometimes we forget that sort of early parts of human history, water is a much easier navigable route to places and connects places rather than separates them. Nowadays, we tend to see water borders more as an obvious dividing line, islands, you know, an island mentality. But actually, that wasn't really the case uh, for whole other parts of history, whereas it was much easier to reach places by water than it was, uh, you know, by land. Yeah, for for a while, Britain used to be like part of a North Sea Empire with 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 Denmark and Norway, and then later it um it had lots of territories in France, and that was a uh, that was for some fun fun centuries of conflict with that. <laughs> because one thing we're learning is that like humans' capacity to uh, pick fights with each other over random bits of territory uh, is eternal. Very true. Now, Claire. I think we should do a little touch of the social so we can start to wind down uh, this podcast. Uh, I know, I think I think Nick Roworth in particular is getting a little bit hot and bothered about all this exclave and enclave talk and you need, you need to have a little bit of a lie down afterwards. So, Claire, what's been happening on the socials this month? Alrighty, so... On the, on the Facebook group, the numbers keep going up and um, we've had some really interesting chats there. And I think what, what I find particularly fascinating and a kind of evidence of the uh, general general map geekery is that um, one of the most popular threads this time round was when David Crowther posted a picture of a bit of an ordnance survey map in his area. Um, and it prompted some of the most amounts of comments because people just love to chat about the minutiae of maps. Although this one did get a bit distracted by a discussion of 
all the places in the UK that are called Bottom something like this was drunken bottom near him but it was it got, got it got it got quite quickly into the rude place names and more recently it's been quite a lively thread on the dark tourism no no one's allowed to go anywhere much at the moment or certainly that's my experience because I'm in, in the UK lockdown when all this is over uh, clearly there are plenty of places people will recommend so you can hear about murder and slavery and war and natural disasters and terrorism and there's a whole host of tourism locations which you can get your fill of the worst of humanity or random natural events in, in case you fancy that. But there's been plenty of recommendations from the Matt Corner group on that. Maybe it's just a bit of a dark time and we're all uh, thinking in that way. I'd like to see a more cheerful tourism thread at some point. Maybe I'll start that one. We had a fun uh, map on the Twitter feed on at the Matt Corner hashtag, which was by uh, Magic Among Us, which was a fairly sort of rough drawn map, but it showed which parts of the UK are closer to London or closer to an other country, which basically just demonstrates that most of the UK is closer to somewhere else than it is to London, um, mainly Ireland, but also France, Norway and uh, Holland. Some of the pics from the socials, but if you're not there, uh, you can't join in. So if you're listening to this and you want to have part of the conversation, do join the Facebook group or tweet us at hashtag Map Corner. It's always great to see what people contribute. Now, do you have a map fact of the month? Because I know that Guy Smith in particular is waiting for bated breath for a fact <laughs> to which he can share with his colleagues at work. Well, I do have a map fact of the month and it's one that came to us uh, on Twitter from Dr. Shoplin, who actually is somebody I know, um, who tweeted about a map showing Uralic languages. And these are languages mainly from the kind of uh, Finns and Scandinavian and, and so very Northern Europe. But it basically demonstrated that the Hungarian is one of those languages, but it's miles from anywhere else. And it's, that its nearest language neighbours are sort of way off in Northern Russia, in, in Central Russia. So Hungarian is a bit of an anomaly language that its, its closest language relatives are a really long way away. And you've got a hot all sorts of other languages to, to find anything like it. Language maps are always an interesting one, and, and, and I love a bit of a language anomaly, and, and Hungarian is one. Mm. Right. I know you're waiting with bated breath, and Guy Smith is back. You've rescued that person in record time, Guy. We, we got cancelled. They're either too dead or not dead enough. We need them just in that sweet spot <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> Well, let's hope they're not dead enough. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for injecting not only drama, but now humour into the show today, sir. Uh, you, you need to come back every week. Right. Answers to the quiz. The honour of winning this quiz is incredibly prestigious. So let's go for it. Borders. Name the country which borders the following countries. And let's go through them. It was Iran, Afghanistan, India and China. And the answer is Pakistan. The next question was uh, name the country which borders the following countries. Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil, Bolivia and Chile. And the answer is anybody know? Want to wave? Peru. Peru is the answer. Uh, 
again on borders. Name the country which borders the following other countries. Russia, Sweden and Norway. Anybody want to hazard a guess? Andy Gladwell, looking at you, sir. Unmute yourself. Have a, have a guess. Have a go. Uh, I'll, I'll have to guess. Finland. You, you guessed correctly, sir. Uh-huh. Well done. Istanbul. How much of Istanbul's population lives in Europe? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Uh, hold your hand up. Go for it. Unmute yourself and just blurt it out. Guy Smith, do you want to have a go? Two thirds. You're absolutely correct, sir. It is two thirds. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Istanbul again. By which name is Istanbul not known in its 2,000 plus years worth of history? Uh, and the answer is, anybody know? Just unmute yourself and go for it. Persepolis. Yes, it's not been known Amy. by that name. Well done. State borders. Why is Ellis Island partly in New York and New Jersey? And if you actually see a map of this, it's it's, it's kind of crazy. It's a bit sort of all over the place. William Lim, you've unmuted yourself. You know, don't you? Go for it. Give us the answer. I live in New Jersey. But I have to know this. It's uh, probably made on reclaimed land. Boom. Well done, sir. Next question, US state borders again. And I gave this one away because my mouse just ran away with me. But why is the airport of the Missouri city of St. Joseph cut off and inside uh, Kansas? And the answer is Nick Roworth. Unmute yourself. Give us the answer. Would be a flood? <laughs> Move the line Yay. Of the river. Well done. The uh, line of the river is moved because of a flood. And uh, US state borders again. And I might have got this one slightly wrong. I thought. Pig Island was between the US and Canada, but this is it a US. Was, uh, oh, it was. I was right then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay. It's near where we were talking about, actually. Yeah. How was ownership of the islands determined? And I will tell you this because if you, I kind of didn't know this. It was given to arbitration to, I believe, the Kaiser. It was Germany decided. I'd like to interject and say that it was still technically Prussia at that time period. Yeah, that uh, is true. Well done. <laughs> Well done, it's you. That, uh, I, I called it Germany in the audio, but then I, cu- I caught a mistake later, so I put a little note of it. But wasn't it Kaiser Wilhelm II that adjudicated? At the time when it was decided, it was still technically called Prussia and not Germany yet. Okay, all right. So I Wilhelm the first then. We didn't have a race of pigs. I think pigs, pigs racing through the street. I don't see why we can't solve all border disputes in that way. <laughs> <laughs> it, wouldn't make it, it wouldn't be any less nonsensical than other things sometimes. Right. So, folks, the question is, there, there were uh, nine questions and I'm putting you all on gallery view now. Who I got... think it was easier this month. Again, I was getting a reputation for making two difficult questions. So I was, I'm hoping that this time someone's got full marks. Who got all of those correct? Hold a hand up. Yay! William, props to you, sir. I must admit, I only got what I only I only got one of those wrong, and it was it was a guess. I we, we believe you. It's an honor system. Don't even have to hold your piece of paper up, William. So, William, uh, guess what you win. I have to make another postcard. You do. You do. <laughs> so is it not going to be Edison? It can't be Edison, New Jersey. Oh, I suppose it could, but it needs to be somewhat. can't be back the mm. whole city because you've done that. But I'll leave you to think about that. Guy Smith, how was your first time uh, watching Matt Corner go out live? How was it for you, sir? It was very entertaining. I like it. And a question about the San Juan Islands that I fly over all the time. They're directly between Vancouver and Victoria. Ah. Uh-huh. 
the pig wars. Van de Graaff, do you know what? Why were they called the pig wars? Because I didn't pick that up, and I don't know if you know. Oh, it's because um, some guy shot a pig, and that's what. Fought oh, that's right. Well, yeah, well, yeah. well, usually, what happens when there's a border dispute is people ignore it until like there's some legal issue where it suddenly becomes important which jurisdiction you're in, and then it's that legal issue that launches the the territory dispute. Because if people can avoid dealing with problems, they tend to just shift it down until they can't. Yeah. So somebody shot somebody's pig, and that's what brought the legal issue into the forefront, which made them have to decide. Okay. But they should have just raced pigs through the streets. That would have been, you know, <laughs> I'm standing by that. <laughs> so there were streets on the island, then, Claire. I don't know. Maybe. Right. Hmm. There's a whole. There's a whole in in your. Uh, in your answer there. All right, uh, Claire, very lastly, um, is there anything else that we need to do or can we fold up our maps? Uh, well, I wanted to ask uh, Jennifer where she thinks the Midwest is, but that's slightly diverging from a previous conversation, so I won't do that. I just want to remind people that uh, our next recording is the 6th of March and at uh, the usual time, and we will be interviewing Rajard from What Alternative History, another opportunity to look at geography and history together which is a becoming a bit of a theme for us but then that's because that's what we like mm. uh and he's also like you guy and you van de graaf a, a canadian there's a lot of you about at the moment blimey now <laughs> van de graaf thank you for coming on to the show sir w when are we going to see um a new video from you um Well, I'll leave you to think about that, shall I? <laughs> right. But but we're waiting. We're waiting. Uh, listen, everybody, thank you for being part of um, another stunningly exciting and gripping episode of Map Corner. We had real life drama. And Andy Gladwin accused me of bullying. And then we've, we've had uh, International Sea Rescue almost be attempted live on Map Corner. It doesn't get any more exciting than this on a Saturday, does it, folks? Uh, Claire, can we fold up our maps now? We can fold up our maps now, Royfield. To do, everybody. Take care. And as Sarah Spilsby would say, ta a bit. Bye-bye. <laughs> oh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. That everybody. was lovely. Thanks, that was Sandra. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.